Thank you, Kenneth. That was nice. So, good morning. I am Reverend Robert Yarnell, and last time I came here, I was not able to use that title. I'm now an ordained interfaith minister, and uh, thank you. Uh, as mentioned, the last time I came here, I was a singer, singing nightclub songs for the Buddha and Jesus. You can imagine that. Um, I love that. I love doing this. I love songwriting, getting to sing and interpret songs. I love the song Kenneth just sang, which I have to admit I requested. And your version of it was so beautiful and so uniquely you and, and special. And what I love about that particular message is what it says. That yes, life can be difficult, challenging, and in the midst of it all, I hope you dance. Which is, to me, so inspirational and so kind. And that's not necessarily the message that I'm hearing in the atmosphere these days. I don't know about you, but I've noticed that some of the messages out there right now are a little bit negative. There's some stuff out there. And I like to hear what is inspirational. And yet, I know that just looking outside of me for that inspiration isn't going to be enough. I can start the process perhaps that way, but at some point I'm going to want to find that from within. And that's why we come here, to learn how to tune into that, to find that energy. So we're not relying on the outside world to give us inspiration or worry that it's going to give us negative energy. And so I think when we hear about the Word of God, which is referenced in the title, The Word, we tend to think of it as something rather stale and old, uh, perhaps officious, of the Word of God, and so speaketh the Lord, right? But for me, I want to hear about the living Word of God, which I see as having these two components, divine revelation and inspiration. Revelation is sort of the message, the lyrics, if you will, while inspiration is more like the music and the energy. And we need both. So if we just had one, if we just had the lyrics, imagine if I came up to you and said, I hope you still feel small when you stand near the ocean. <laughs> when one door closes, I hope one more opens. I could say that any way. As an actor, I know I can infuse that with any particular motivation or energy which is where the music comes in, right, David? The music, which is like inspiration, gives it that soaring quality. If we just have the music, we could assign any meaning to that song. So when the two come together, we hear the word dance, and it's lifted up on a high note. It's stretched out. Think about something as seemingly simple as, oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful day. I've got a beautiful feeling. Everything's going my way. Right? Sounds like a Hallmark card at best. But when you put it to Richard Rogers' music, it's a song that literally changed Broadway history. It was that impactful. And so, similarly, we need both. We need the divine revelation, the information, and the divine inspiration or energy. If I just have the uh, information, the message, that's sort of like, I should move to Florida. When? Eh, we'll see. I procrastinate. There's no energy. 
if I just have the energy and there's no specific message, then I'm just kind of hanging out. Kind of like Tony in West Side Story. Something's coming. I don't know what it is, but it is going to be great. Look how that turned out. <laughs> so, so you need both. And we're not going to give you all of it here. I'm not going to give you the word of God. But we need that map, if you will, and the gasoline, the specifics and the energy. But what we do here in Unity is we help you find your direction, to find your path, to tune in to that source within you, and to find the way and to find that energy from within. And since this is the school of practical Christianity, as I know Sean says very often, we learn about how to practice this and to do it in our daily lives. And so I hope to get practical today. I plan to give you a three-point practice in how you can access this energy so that you can have divine revelation and inspiration on your own. Um, first, however, I would like to define terms just a little bit and review them. Inspiration, I think we all know, that's breathing life into. We use that a lot. Revelation is not a word we use quite as often. So I'd like to review some of the more famous examples. The Holy Spirit revealed itself to the apostles on Pentecost Sunday. And the Holy Spirit came through them and they spoke in tongues. And as it's reported, everyone there who spoke a different language heard it in their own language, which I think is fascinating. Some kind of universal spiritual message was coming through them that everyone could understand. I think that's beautiful. Muslims celebrate the revelation of God's word to the prophet Muhammad during the month of Ramadan. Moses had probably the most famous revelation of all time, receiving the Ten Commandments, the word of God, directly from the source. And we may think that that booming voice that Charlton Heston heard is what revelation is all about. I think that's what we've been taught. But that's not my experience of it. Consider our very own Myrtle Fillmore, who received guidance and new ways of seeing the world. And the information she received came relatively quiet and over time, and it led eventually to the founding of unity. Thank you, Myrtle. All of these people and countless others didn't just wake up and get revelation like the morning paper. They had prepared. Muslims believe that on that first night of Ramadan, the book was opened to a ready soul. A ready soul. I like that. It's important. Moses, Myrtle, Muhammad, Gandhi, King, all were ready souls who had done the spiritual work necessary to tune into this higher voice and get beyond normal ways of thinking and being to see differently. Now, I believe that we should admire these people, but let's see them as guides. We don't outsource our spirituality here. Jesus, as we say, is our way shower, steering us along our path, not someone who did the work for us. Other figures can also be seen as guides on our spiritual journey, experts showing how we too can connect to a higher power and its message. In the 13th century, the Sufi poet Rumi said, each moment contains a hundred messages from God. So each moment 
contains many possible revelations from God. The question is, are we hearing them? And if not, how can we? So I see three elements that the masters have used, which we can use as well to help us in the process of accessing divine revelation and inspiration. Three elements of the practice, all beginning with the letter P. Now, can you guess the first one? No. <laughs> it's a trick question. Pause. If we want to tune into the voice of God to receive direction and energy, we need to hit the pause button to remove ourselves a bit from our ordinary human life. Moses went up Mount Sinai. Jesus went into the desert. Muhammad went into a cave for a month. And Myrtle stayed at home, cut off from the outside world, doing her spiritual work for two years. All these people got away from their ordinary lives. They returned eventually, but first they paused. Our very own Sean Moniger just paused and came back, refreshed. So why do we need to pause? Well, the ego may be an illusion, but it's extremely convincing and compelling, better than all of Netflix. <laughs> and it distracts us from any higher message as we fill our lives with content, things to do, places to go, thoughts galore. Unity tends to focus on the quality of our thoughts. And this has been an extraordinary contribution to society, helping us catch the negative patterns we repeat in our minds and to consciously choose new ones. But what about the sheer, the sheer quantity of thoughts? This wasn't an issue so much in the Fillmore's time. There was no television, no telephones at all, not to mention smartphones, nothing to look at in an elevator, not really even elevators. No podcasts in our ears, no internet. All of this input has crept into every realm of our lives, so our minds are always being fed. We can always distract ourselves every moment of every day with more choices than ever in human history. External content. No wonder they say our attention span is now shorter than a goldfish. They've actually found that. The content itself isn't necessarily a problem, but the amount, I believe, is, because God speaks to us in a still, small voice, remember? That when is our mind still enough to hear? When do we experience the spaciousness of life? When do we pause? In A New Earth, Eckhart Tolle says, most people's lives are cluttered up with things material things, things to do, things to think about. Their lives are like the history of humanity, which Winston Churchill defined as one damn thing after another. Their minds are filled up with the clutter of thoughts, one thought after another. This is the dimension of object consciousness that is many people's predominant reality, and that is why their lives are so out of balance. Object consciousness needs to be balanced by space consciousness for sanity to return to our planet and for humanity to fulfill its destiny. The arising of space consciousness is the next stage in the evolution of humanity. Now this is relevant to new thought because the clutter that's up here tends to drown out the new thoughts. So like on a remote control, 
we want to hit the pause button, take a mental break. We live most often in fast forward and rewind, thinking about the future, worrying or getting excited, or resenting, reviewing, or even cherishing the past. We want to suspend that mental activity just for a bit and pause. And it's important, I think at this point, to mention, I'm not talking about numbing out. That's more like the stop button or pulling the plug. I'm talking about a fully alert pause, being in life with all its sensations, not trapped in our thoughts. Eckhart Tolle, again, says that generally we live in our minds up here. And to escape, we move down in consciousness to the level of plant or rock. We veg out or get stoned using any number of numbing agents available to us today. Pick your favorite. But the goal, he says, is not to go down in consciousness, but to rise, to transcend normal human consciousness. Meditation is the most obvious form of pausing, and those that do reap tremendous benefits, like better physical and mental health, greater receptivity to optimism, better sleep, and more. The Dalai Lama, meditates three hours a day. And when asked what he does on a busy day, he says, four hours. <laughs> Gandhi meditated for weeks before deciding to lead the salt march that led to the nonviolent overthrow of the British Empire. The history books don't focus on the meditation that came before the idea because to them, that's irrelevant. Doesn't matter. But I would say, on the contrary, it was essential. A big idea came after a big pause. Now, don't worry. We don't have to meditate for three or four hours a day like the Dalai Lama or for weeks like Gandhi. Taking many brief pauses is better than doing none at all. We can practice in little bouts and sprinkle them throughout the day. So for example, before and after, Taking in the news. Watch your breath for 15 seconds. Feel your heartbeat. Be present. Or when you're out walking or driving, focus on just your sensations for a portion of the journey, like from here to the next lamppost. No words, just sensations. Now we may think that that's not safe while driving, but on the contrary, normally, we're distracted drivers, distracted by the thoughts roaming around in our head, arguing with people who aren't there. This is making us, again, fully present and alert, much more conscious, and so better drivers. When you're in line or in an elevator, rather than looking at your device for external input, you can take time to pause. For extra credit, try not thinking normal thoughts. Just take the environment in as pure energy the way a baby might. Doing any of these things during the day starts to make pausing a habit and has the added benefit of making you conscious of your thoughts rather than simply going on automatic. Bless you. We want to get back to the point where we can use our mind as a tool rather than our mind using us. So, we pause. Step two is, in fact, pray. Remember, Jesus told us, when you pray, enter into your inner room and having shut the door, pray to your Father, 
the one in secret. I think he's talking about removing ourselves from the world, about the pause. Once we've paused the outside world, paused our old ways of thinking for a bit, during the pause we can choose a new direction. We can remind ourselves of truth, remember who we really are. Now in unity, as I'm sure you know, prayer is not beseeching. It's lining our minds up with a higher truth than the one we're living in and affirming that. So I might say to myself, there is divine order in the universe, and I am part of that. Or if my mind is spinning off about something, I might say simply, I am here and all is well. And since I am is the name of God, it has that double meaning. <clears throat> and then there's a prayer I use from time to time. It's possible I'm wrong about this. Sometimes just opening up to another possibility is all it takes, because in that crack of openness, a new idea has a chance to slip in. The word needs a space to fall into. The pause opens that space up, and prayer welcomes it in. Some activities contain both the pause and the prayer. Chanting, Tai Chi, yoga. Find your practice to recenter in truth throughout the day. So we pause, then pray, and the final P, play. The remote control was on pause. We prayed, now we're ready to go. So we push play, not fast forward or rewind. We move into the present moment, and how great that the button says play on it. We don't have to be holy and serious all the time just because we think that's the spiritual way to be. We tend to think of great religious figures as serious and stoic. But look at Rumi and the whirling dervishes, or the Dalai Lama laughing, or St. Francis celebrating nature. Life is full of joy, or can be. We may need to pause and pray, pause and remind ourselves to then find the joy again. Rumi said, in order to understand the dance, one must be still. And in order to understand stillness, one must dance. Movement that emerges from stillness, from a deep place, that's life in its fullness. And I think the world is hungry for that, for us to be in the world in that sense of play, of moving through it with that sense of divine connection, however that comes through you uniquely. Now, I love to dance. Part of the reason I like that song so much. I don't care if I'm good. I just have to do it. I love it. Dancing is always on my list of top 10 ways to connect with joy. And perhaps you have yours. It's so great on retreats when I've been required to write down the 10 things that connect me to joy. And at first, of course, I thought there were right answers, and I got very nervous about it. But it's individual to each of us. Rumi, again, you can tell he's probably one of my favorite poets. There are many ways to the divine. I have chosen the ways of song, dance, and laughter. Me too. Jesus said, you must be like a child to get into the kingdom of heaven. And I think it's because kids see life as play. They're in the present, full of that sense of wonder that the song references. 
Now, there's definitely been times in my life when I fell out of touch with that sense of wonder, that sense of childlike play and aliveness, and sometimes for long stretches. Uh, back in the year 2000, my father fell from a ski lift and was in intensive care for 90 days. He was given about a 10% chance of survival. We came down there, he was in Reno, we flew in from New York, from Seattle, and we actually included prayer, and the nurses started doing this too, and it was my first exposure to that. And for whatever reason, the doctor found some little thing and they changed it, he emerged from that. And when I came back to New York, something in me wanted to do more than act other people's words. I started asking, what am I about, and doing spiritual work, meditating. And I started showing up at a place called The Field, where you can develop your own work, bring it in. And one day in meditation, a little tune came to me, and some words were attached. And I brought it in that week, and it resonated with people. And I began writing songs, which I had never done before, just using my little tape recorder. And as I developed this art form, I became aware that for theater, you need what's called a perfect rhyme. Now that's important in theater because you're only gonna hear the lyric once. So you gotta know what they're saying. You can't have any ambiguity. The rhyme focuses you on the important words. And so I realized I was probably gonna need to get a rhyming dictionary. And while walking past a Barnes and Noble one day, I said, you know, someday I really should get a rhyming dictionary. And I heard, how about now? <laughs> and I stopped, turned around, went in, and for $5, purchase something that literally changed the course of my life. Now that seem, may seem like quite a claim, but you see, everywhere I went now around New York City, I was looking up rhymes, looking up possible places a lyric could go, being delighted and surprised by what I found. I was investing in joy, investing in something that was coming through me and had, if I'm honest, since childhood. And eventually I went to a place called Artward Bound, and started dating someone who I met there named Carl. And when I got back to New York after this retreat, Carl was going to a little place called Unity of New York. He got me there. We broke up and he decided to leave, but I stayed. And I've been there since 2003. Became a prayer chaplain, got on the board, eventually became the president and was speaking from a stage like this, combining the practical with the spiritual, and finding I really liked it and hearing people say, have you ever thought about being a minister? And when enough people said that, I took it seriously. And I uh, enrolled in the One Spirit Interfaith Seminary, which got me here today. So all of that, if you think about it, comes back to that moment with the rhyming dictionary. And more than that, my ability to say yes to that, because I don't always. Right? When I hear that little hint from God, the voice I'll call God, and I sometimes just ignore it. But at the time, I was meditating 30 minutes a day, doing that spiritual work, and I had the wherewithal, I had the presence to say, yes, for $5 I can do that. So, this is in fact the step where we act on the revelation and move into it. We don't stay in pause mode indefinitely, which is why we come back from retreats. We need the new thoughts, the divine revelations that come through you to come into the world.
It's not up to us to decide what matters. A phone call you were led to make could lift a person's spirits in a way that ripples through their family and community. We don't know, it's not our business. Saving the world is great, and Moses, Muhammad, Myrtle, Gandhi, and King seemed to be in that business. But the world is where we are. It is addressed where we are. Divine revelation and inspiration won't come from politicians or anyone out there, ultimately. We must be the ones to access a better way to channel God, the divine, and then live it. God wants to come into our consciousness and on to the planet right now especially. So can we pause, pray, and play today? Pause, pray, and move forward from a higher place. Can we be open to receiving the word of God today and bringing it into the world so that the word becomes flesh? And we answer that question not with our intellect, but with our lives. So, let's breathe. We are here today to bring our highest selves into the room, to listen for the voice of spirit, of God, to feel that divine energy. We are informed by that, and so we bless each other today and we call this day good. Thank you, God. And now, let's play. <laughs> and so it is. Amen.